Hey, what's going on? This is the show. I hate myself. I also hate myself. I hate myself. Hey, what's going on? I hate myself, and I'm your host, James, shit, Joe, Joe Troman. And oh, sorry, and with me is always my lovely co-host, the the beautiful, his name is Wade Randolph. Oh my God, what is happening? Are you okay? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not okay. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. People always ask me, they ask the question, how you doing, man? You know, sorry, that's not actually concerned. Hey, how you doing, man? How's it going? And I always want to give the real answer, but you're not supposed to. Oh, I do too. Both. I've turned off a lot of people. A lot of people have, have just been like, oh, you know, my friend died and uh, I'm struggling to pay rent. And then they're like, okay. And then it's like, oh, sorry. Because they think like, oh, Wade's struggling to pay rent. Now he must want me to help him. <laughs> oh, do you think like, that's what it is? I don't know. Maybe. I hope that's I hope that's what they think because then maybe someone will give me money. Oh, is that what you want? From is that what you want from me? I'll take free money. I'm not asking okay. for it, but I'll always take free money. I have okay, very yeah. little scruples when it comes to accepting free money. We'll get you some free money. Hey, for all you listeners out there, by the way, <laughs> click the link at the end of the show for some free money from me. Okay. Oh, I don't well, know exactly. I'm gonna... do link by the way, do links work that way? Can you click a link from something you hear? No, well, no, no. Okay. I mean, not yet. Okay, well, I'm thinking it's such a bombastic idea. Maybe this could be a million dollar idea. So it would be like, I guess what I'm picturing, and this is the very like lo-fi version of it, is a transcript that would write out everything that we're saying and then it would auto-identify when you say link, it would just insert a hyperlink and then you could click on that. I think you would listen to the podcast and the podcast would say, and just go to www.hotlinks.com and you just go, uh, click that link. You just say it into your, your smart buds and it would like click the link. Like your assistant, yeah. Yeah, yeah, your assistant. Yeah, your Google assistant, your Siri. Hey Google, follow that link. Follow that link, right on it, sir. You know, it's British, <laughs> but I can't Thank you, Mr. British. Google. <laughs> you know what we're talking about today? We're going to eventually talk about familial trauma and not familiar trauma, which it calls, could also be familiar, but trauma that we all have about uh, the trauma, the, the fun trauma we got because of our parents or their parents' parents or all of that stuff. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I. it's weird. Um, like the longer your parents live, you think you survived it and then you get older and older and your parents keep coming up with new ways to traumatize you. Yeah, even the dead ones. My dead mother is like, every day she's like, ha ha, got you again, ugly. And I'm like, ah, oh, god damn it, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> she never, I don't know. Well, she did comment on my looks negatively often. Yeah. Oh, me and your mom should, we should but get ever, together. Well, did I ever tell you, I told you this story probably about, I mean, I hope I haven't talked about it on here already, but if I am doing it again, welcome to people getting older and telling the same stories over and over again. Uh, but uh-huh. so Fallout Boy, we got our first piece in Rolling Stone. It's like maybe maybe a half page, quarter page. And there's like they sent a photographer out to take a picture of us and 
you know, first like real photo. And I'm we're still in the van, but in like the nicer van after we've upgraded from like a cargo van to an eight passenger to a 15 passenger. So we're living large, you know, we're living large and we're in Rolling Stone. And I call my mom on my Nokia brick cell phone. I'm like, always looking for validation from the wrong person. I go, yeah. Hey, do you see that picture? Do you see Rolling Stone? And she goes, yeah, you look terrible in that photo. That's all she said. Oh, God. I mean. That's all she said. That's it. She she used to apparently like, you know, um, I mean, my mother was very mentally ill and like she had a very, you know, long history well, but, with, but, with, but define, with. But define, what mental illness did she have? Because did it, did it come with a lack of filter? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. So it's really hard to truly put one finger on it because she didn't spend any time in psychotherapy. But in the 1970s, my mother had a tumor that was benign, but it was the 70s and they couldn't operate physically to remove the tumor. So they did radiation. But back then, radiation, for those of you that know about this, radiation these days can be very pinpointed and radiation is very dangerous. So, you know, you want to just radiate the tumor, not the whole body. Well, back then they were just like, bleh gonna pour radiation all over you so she had organic brain decay and radiation poisoning for most of her life which affected and the, that with the tumor and everything probably affected parts of her brain that controlled emotion and felt i wanted to make like a gamma radiation hulk joke but you yeah, got so into, real so fast that i missed my window well she turned into a hulking bitch sometimes oh my god oh no <laughs> sorry oh, shit. a hulking jerk it's I your love, mom. I love my. Say. I love my mom. I love my dead mom. You know why don't we all say that? I love my dead mom. But you know. Okay, my mom's still alive, so I can't say that. Can you? Well, you can say it if you want to. No one's stopping. I love you my from mom. Saying, it's not the same. Here, thing let me tell I you the story about my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were like, "Wash the car," and I was like, "Okay, I'll wash the car." But then I also knew that we had to wash the garage once in a while, so I was like, "I'll leave the car in the garage." And I'll wash it in there, and I'll wash the garage at the same time. Jewish people don't. Like, Jewish people barely. We don't wash our own cars, let alone washing our garage. That sounds okay. Insane well, this is you know this is middle America. This is Colorado, uh, uh, upper middle class sort of like vibes. Oh, you so know? you have a specific garage. You must have had a garage, a hose specifically for the garage. No, come on. Upper middle class does not mean. I I'm let's kidding. just say I'm middle kidding. class. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I know what you mean. <laughs> continue, continue. I'm sorry to derail your story. So I'm thinking, but... what a genius I am. I'm killing two birds with one stone. I'm getting so much done, and she comes out in the middle of me washing the car slash garage, and she's like livid. She's she could not be more upset. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? Her jaws dropped and I'm like, what's the deal? And she's like, you didn't take anything out of the garage. So like all this shit is wet now. We had like, I don't know, like cat litter or something. And I don't even mm -hmm. know what the big deal was. But the scarring thing she said to me was like, use your brain, like think, use your brain. And so from then on, I've had a complex of like, oh, I'm stupid. And for me to function, I have to like think about everything even though I thought I was being very smart about a situation. Um, and, she, you know, she wasn't, she didn't mean anything by it. But, like, this is, like, this is the trauma that I'm used to. Just the sort of, like, uh, you can very easily damage your children just by using the wrong words. 
100% you can. I mean, my mom used lots of wrong words. So, but like, I think you have to be careful. I mean, I have little kids, you know? I mean, I've, I've, uh, well, I was going to ask, would yeah. you ever tell, and it's different because you have daughters, but like, so it's different, but like, I'm sure your answer is never would you ever say that one of them looked ugly in a picture. No. Goodness like, gracious. How could you even think of saying that, you know? I mean, it's hard to not think about potential damage as far as like eating disorders, body dysmorphia, all of that stuff that could come to self-loathing, all of that stuff. Especially, I think I have a lot of my shoulders as their father because I am probably the lens in which they're going to view men for the rest of their lives. They're gonna view it somewhat through through me. So I, I have to, yeah. you know, I love, I mean, here's the thing, I'll make all sorts of jokes about being a, 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 you know, not wanting to be around my kids or some shit like that, but I actually love being around my kids so much and I love them and they're they're incredible. And But I'm worried about the, the small things. I think it's like the times you get frustrated with your kids and you say something you don't mean. I've never, yeah. you know, you're afraid that one thing, like you said, that one thing stuck in your head and that just, you never know how you're going to fuck your kids up, no matter how much you care, how much you try. And I guarantee my mom doesn't even have a memory of that. You know what I mean? No. And she probably would feel bad if you told her like, hey, that if you like sat yeah, down. Like, she would probably, she would probably double down and be like, no, she'd that be was like, a fucking she, dumb move, she'd be like, dude. You sh she'd be like, first off, that was stupid. Second, use your fucking brain. You think I really meant that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's she really good. Good on your um, mom. <laughs> it's going to be fun in 10 years to see how you have, like, what what you said to your daughters that has manifested into uh, some some weird psychosis. Oh, it's going to be, I'm going to say one, I'm going to use a wrong adjective to describe, like, their, their arm, one of their arms or something. And they're going to be like, great, I got big fat arms now all because of you. It's, it's, funny, yes. it's funny that you brought up arms. I wasn't going to say this, but my my niece, I was noticing when I was hanging out with my niece that she has like a lot of hair on her arms, but it's like, you know, it's like blonde hair or whatever. Wispy hair. Yeah. And I had to stop myself from like mentioning Commenting. it because I was like, oh shit, if I say anything, like this is an issue mm -hmm. now. I was always really self-conscious about what I looked like, partially because my mom commented on it all the time. So that was kind of part of her thing. So I'm pretty conscious about, we're both my, like- Oh Marina, my God, you shouldn't, I, I wish I didn't. I'm constantly talking shit about the way you look because we're friends. That's what friends do. No, you can do it. It's okay. I'm done. Uh, I'm, I'm damaged, but I'm just saying, I, I'm, you can say whatever you want about me. It's nothing I haven't thought already. Um, <laughs> I'm a, that's so sad. That's so yeah, sad. Yeah, it's okay. Well, I'm like a little, I'm a little, I'm a little, like I'm a, I'm like a tiny homeless bridge troll. Well, I guess if I live under a bridge, I have a home. That's their oh, home. Trolls live also under not bridges. That, you're also not that tiny. I mean, I guess sorry, I've been hanging out with someone that's six foot six lately, so I feel tiny. I'm an average sized bridge troll. <laughs> yeah, without any of the wit. Yeah, with the troll wit? Yeah. No, no. I mean, trolls are the, that's the wittiest mythical creature around. Those trolls. motherfuckers, they are, their, their wit is biting. Their wit is only matched by their style. A lot of trolls, did you know, wear designer clothing? Well, except for the shoes because they got those big troll feet. Oh yeah, they wear big clown shoes. Right. They did, I mean, they like like they literally the only shoes they make for trolls are big honking clown like, <laughs> you know, like the honking. That's all they that's, make for trolls. 
that's how you when you know you've met a troll is because they always squeak up to you. Yeah, you're like, is this a clown? Nope, just a troll. I hear the squeaking. Thank God it's not a clown. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Yeah, you know, speaking of not a clown. Oh my God, we haven't even gotten into this yet. <laughs> well, what? Good news. It's not a clown, but bad news. I got some bad news. Oh, here it comes. I got some bad news today. That tooth is gonna have to come out. Wade, I have a question for you. Okay. I always forget. What is your What are your opinion on articles? Oh man, are you talking articles to me, Wade? Article Randolph? Yeah. I love them. It's interesting that your um, the acronym for your name is War because you're not a very violent guy. Way to acronym Randolph. Um, well, way to article the... Randolph. Sorry, oh my god. Way to <laughs> Wait, article Randolph. Way to acronym Randolph. <laughs> oh, that works too. It does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I actually this is a weird tangent. When I was a kid, my middle name is Everett, and we were doing a, a art project in like third grade. And I didn't know how to spell my middle name because it's Everett and who the fuck knows how to spell that. And I thought it was with an A and so I had the teacher write W-A-R and it was war. And then I learned that it was Everett spelled with an E. That's a boring story, but it's just, I don't know, it's a little coincidental, right? Sure. I like that one. Well, anyway. <laughs> no, I like that story. It's great. Shit. Now we're keeping it. All right, listen, war, war. I have a question. Uh, yeah. Well, here's the, the thing. Artic- okay, so hit, hit the article man with a new article. I'm going to hit article man with a new article. So listen, I hate that I'm bringing this up, but in the failing New York Times, are they still failing? They seem like they're having a boon to me, but. <sighs> who, who knows? Who owns who it? Who knows? Uh, I think Bobby New York owns it. Famous Bobby. Bobby's pizza. doing all right. I think it'll be around for a little while. Yeah, he's doing got a lot of that pizza money and the pasta money. Um, so anyway, <laughs> and the and so, the bagel, the the good water bagel money. Good water bagel. Yeah. So this is a trauma expert puts the Meghan and Harry interview into context. Let me first say, I don't give a shit about the royal family at all. This that is being, okay, but wait, does this need context? Because I'm going to give a little. About, con- I'm going to give okay. a little context. This is an article in relation to the um, bombastic Meghan and Harry Oprah interview. where, And I thought it was good. Meghan talked about her dealings with, with, with racism and, and uh, being feeling immediately excluded. And, and also, I think, like viciously attacked by tabloids. And also Harry as well, mm-hmm. to that degree. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read this kind of segment here. So th- they talk a bit about relating a lot of what they've been through, both what Megan went through and also what, what uh, Harry went through, not in just this, but also with losing his mother, uh, the late Princess Diane, um, referring to it as, as trauma. Uh, many in the news media, this is the article, many in the news media and on social platforms are interpreting the uh, Harry and Meghan's decision to leave the royal family as a result of the trauma that Harry experienced from the loss of her mother, Diana, and that Meghan had experienced after she became a part of the royal household. But throwing around these mental health terms risks creating a misunderstanding of what Harry and Meghan are talking about and what they're asking for. It's clear that the couple live through periods of deep emotional distress, and in Meghan's case, isolation and perhaps depression, 
also uh, dealing with bigotry. I'm adding that in myself. She described, quote unquote, not wanting to live anymore, so she had suicidal thoughts. But trauma in the clinical sense means something different, according to Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. I like that name. A that psychiatrist... is the most British name. But it's, it's like German. Bessel van der Kolk? Bessel? Bessel. Bessel? Bessel? I don't know. It, so it sounds like something out of Willy Wonka. And I guess there's Germans in Willy Wonka, so sure. Oh, it said this guy actually used to work at the Wonka uh, Wonka Candy Factory. Okay, so he used to be the... He dealt with the mental stability of the Oompa Loompas. He did a terrible job with Willy, but he did a great <laughs> job with the Oompa Loompas. Yeah, this says here, yeah. Former HR and, th and uh, social worker at Wonka Industries but also psychiatrist based in Boston and the author of The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body and the Healing of Trauma. So anyway, wait, he he's American. He's American, yeah. Okay. He, he's, yeah, he's got all sorts of name confusion issues. But he, he talks to the New York... No, I just thought yeah. everything, everything from Great Britain sounds like it's from a cartoon world to me. And oh, I love it. That, it's so fun. That's why it's fun. That name fits in perfectly, but he's just like some, some Boston dude. He's from Boston, yeah. Bessel van der Kolk. But um, <laughs> anyway, what qualifies as trauma? So anyway, the New York Times asked him what qualifies as trauma, particularly childhood trauma. And he says the strict definition of childhood trauma does not include the loss of a mother or a father. Strictly speaking, a trauma is different from a rupture of one's attachment system, though often the two of them go together as they do in cases of physical abuse or sexual abuse at the hands of one's caregivers. The attachment system is a different dimension from trauma. Trauma is an event that blows your mind and leaves you helpless and terrified. The attachment system defines who we belong to, blah, 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 all that stuff. So, and then in adding to this, I just kind of wanted to look at more like of a kind of like blanket definition of trauma. So according to the American Psychological Association, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape, or natural disaster. However, a person may experience trauma as a response to any event they find physically or emotionally threatening or harmful. And, um, and I, you know, so I think that's something I want to add in there that the doctor seemed to kind of gloss by, because I think like, of course, you know, violence, rape, you know, not going through a you know, something like a, like a hurricane is obviously going to be incredibly traumatic. I also think like from my experience growing up with a mentally ill parent that was verbally and emotionally abusive left me with a lot of, a lot of issues. Yeah. I was just, as you, as you were sort of describing that, I was going through the Rolodex of my memories growing up and I'm not sure that I, I don't think anything I went through uh, qualifies for trauma. Plus, like, if you think about it, if we were to talk to, what's his name? Dr. Uh, oh, my God. What's his name? Bendel? 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 Something? Benderfork. Yeah, Dr. Benderfork. If we're going to talk to him, I guarantee you the way Wonka treated those Oompa Loompas, he wasn't, I don't, he, they never showed him hitting them, but he wasn't necessarily, he didn't have a lot of good things to say. He was very, he was very <laughs> on them. He was very on those. I bet they've dealt with, I bet all those Oompa Loompas have a lot of trauma, undealt with, un, yeah, unmined trauma. There, the way, you know? the way that trauma he treated mind. those children on a tour, oh, you can, forget about you the can kids, say, yeah. Yeah, you could say like he must have been like ten times worse to the Oompa Loompas. I think he know? like he killed a couple of the kids. 
Oh, well, no, the kids killed themselves by making poor decisions. Yeah, but he put them in those decisions. He allowed them. And I mean, here's the thing. In a court of law, you could find him culpable. Well, he, he he's liable, but I well, don't know I th- if he's culpable. I think this is a way into the next podcast because in here we're unlicensed, unlicensed therapists. And the next one, we're lawyers who have never passed the bar. <laughs> we'll defend all of the all of the fictitious characters who have had some unscrupulous dealings without any like legal scholar like scholarly readings under a belt. Nothing. We know nothing about the law. Very little. Oh, that sounds infuriating. So many people would hate that podcast. Oh yeah, that's why we're gonna do it. I hope. You okay, know. great. Yeah, I'm on board. Well, this was called "I Hate Myself." The next one's called "I Hate This Podcast." Um. Anyway, yeah. listen. I think we have a guest. Who knows a lot about trauma at the hands of parents or a parent? I think he's just, he just has a complicated relationship with his family, as we all do, and he uh, is really grateful he is able to go into depths about it. This guy, George Romero Jr., son of the late George Romero, Night of the Living Dead, but in his own right, George Romero Jr. is a filmmaker, writer, uh, producer, all around creator, really interesting, smart, thoughtful guy, and. Uh, we're going to talk to him right now. Who would want to be a guest on a podcast when I'm too lazy to even want to brush my teeth? So let's get it over with the song and dance. Got a guest coming over, better put on some pants. We have George C. Romero here. Hi, George. How are you? Hey, George. I'm great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. We're good. But more importantly, how's your depression? <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Is it awesome? It's, it's, I, I don't believe that. It's uh, it's manageable, you know. I think that's the bo- the most important part, you know. Like it, um, I think it was uh, it was something that I learned to manage a long time ago, and uh, you know, I think once I started to understand it, um, I, I think it changed my perspective on on what it was uh, in the first place, and it wasn't just depression. It was. Uh, it was that me and a lot of people, I think, like me and like you guys, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, a lot of people who do what we do, creatives, we, we, we end up shifting our entire baseline of how, of our, there's manic up here and then there's depressive down here. And a lot of times our depressive baseline drops, you know, like way down. Sure. Manic line goes so high that it's never achievable. And so you end up sort of existing at this other sort of lower baseline and i think that you know yeah. when you understand that um it helps you realize that hey you're not depressed actually you're not like by the term depression you're not depressed you're um you just are a little bit different than most people <laughs> i like the way you're that's great i mean like because that's sort of a I, I talk about it a lot about trying to take depression and turn it into a useful tool rather than a thing that rather than a um I don't know, a, a negative, a thing to hold you back, a hindrance. Because, I mean, I'm just guessing that you're older than we are. <laughs> and, you know, but like... I'm 25. You're 25? Okay, so I've got... <laughs> I got I, I, you look good, and I have some years on you, so I can give you a couple lessons here. But, no, but we've, we've had, like, we've had, um, which is really, like, refreshing, some some guests, young like, a decade, like, plus younger than us, who, really intelligent have a good handle or are starting to get a good handle on their depression, but they're still on the journey, like trying to figure out what it means to them, how to manage it, how to turn it into a positive. You've done the work. And I talk about a lot 
how, you know, I started, so I'm, I'm 36, I'm not an old man, but I'm not a young man. I'm just in the getting in the middle. And uh, I started therapy when I was 10, on and off, but, you know, so you know, a couple decades of therapy. And I've, I've learned what, you know, or I'm learning, I'm getting around to what you have learned, which is that it doesn't have to hold you back. You can do something with it. There's something you can do with depression to create a positive, to be fruitful. What, what do you think, like, for you, when do you think it was in your life, in your career, that you discovered uh, how to turn depression into a positive for yourself? Well, it's interesting, again, because so much of what we're talking about here is sort of like semantics, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that I ever actually learned to turn the term depression into a positive as much as I learned uh, at an early age that it was sort of fuel for the fire. Sure. Fodder, a cr creative fodder. Well, yeah, like when we're young and we're creative and it's like, fuck the world. Can I swear on this? Uh, fine. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, one time. Uh, just one swear. Yeah. And that's it though. You gotta clean up, please. And everything's, you know, fuck the world and fuck the system yeah. and fuck you. If, if you, if you tell me I need to be normal and fuck you, if you tell me I need a 401k and fuck you, if you, I know that's more than one, but you know, it's like, <laughs> that's what happens. Right. And then sure. all of a sudden, like, you're not the normal kid. You're not, um, you're not going to the parties. You're not invited to the stuff and you're, you, you begin to realize early on that you kind of stand out, right? And whatever those reasons are, uh, we're, we're raised to think, I think that those are kind of bad things. Right. And, um, you know, so then it becomes this kind of journey to, to figure out why is it bad, you know? And I, I have this theory that I call chasing the art, you know, like there's, um, there's that expression that, that's used in the drug world, chasing the dragon, right? Sure. Yeah. While heroin. Being a creative. Oh, heroin. We all, we all do it here. Okay. <laughs> uh, being a creative is very similar to that, you know, except you're chasing your art. And, um, you know, I, I used to basically say it like this. I used to say, you know, the first time you do something creative and you show it to people, well, maybe most of us, the first time we do something creative, we don't show it to anybody. Yeah, right? of course and not. maybe the second time we don't show it to anybody because we're like, everybody already thinks I'm a fucking nut. Right. So now what am I going to do? Show him this, right. show him this weird thing I did or show him this, this tree that I used a machete on to turn into a sculpture or, you know, they're just going to be more. It's scared. far more terrifying than anything in horror. I'll tell you that much. Right. Showing somebody your, your, your personal art. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, then, then we get up the balls and we show uh, our creative side to somebody. And, um, it, you know, most of the time, unless you're some savant, you're kind of mocked or ridiculed by, by those closest to you because those are the people that you have to trust and you think I'm going to show this to my parents or my friends and that's those are the worst people to get ridiculed by because what does it do it doesn't it doesn't lift you up right it, it pushes you down and it pushes your creative back down and then you start well I can't get rid of it I can't stop it I have to make shit um, so then you, you go back to making shit for just yourself and then one day you're like oh fuck it you know I th I'm really proud of this I'm going to show it to some people um, and you do, and then they say, wow, this is amazing. Um, but what they don't realize is that you were pushed to such a low, such a depressive state from the last time you showed them that they don't realize what it took to show it to them again, right? Yeah. And now this time, they love it. And now you as the artist, the creative in you starts thinking, well, shit, uh, you know, I was basically... 
I was in a very, very bad or dark place when I did this and people like it. So, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of abridging this, but the, the gist of it is you then start thinking you can only create from that dark if place. If you're in that dark place, yeah. Right? So then what do you do? You start chasing the dark place. Of course, yeah, sure. Right? I live there. I, I kind of think I, I, I kind of think I just live there. Like I am in the dark place all the time. For me, depression is baseline. Anything else, anything darker is is I'm so depressed that I'm uh, considering uh, what happens after life as an as as an, an another opportunity uh, <laughs> to find peace. But like, yeah, I think I get. I, I think it makes a ton of sense too. Especially like what resonates with me is showing people getting that validation to move forward and realizing too that like what people like about you is this this really dark fucked up part of you and so that you have to tap into that over and over again you brought up like a really interesting thing and i i don't know if you if you just if they just connected to anything but i mean <laughs> i'm sure you have to talk about your dad all the time for better or worse obviously we all know who he is and like your the son of this guy who made made incredibly, you know, influential work and horror and you're being creative and you're making your own stuff. Are you showing stuff to him to get feedback or are you going like outside of that realm? When I was young? Um, No, I wasn't really showing him anything. I was, uh, you know, it was um, it was a little bit of a different situation because it, it, you know, by the time I was old enough to realize who he was, so was the rest of the world, basically. Sure. Um, and what was that like? Know, what, what was what was that like for you? He he had so far surpassed just an awesome, famous dude who made great shit, right? Yeah. He was like there there were books and there was all this underground knowledge and the and the the United States Congress called him dangerous and said that he wasn't he shouldn't be allowed to continue. And like it created this, this sort of iconic outlaw in the world of horror, which was already considered um, outlaw and fringe, right? Like, mm-hmm. how did how did guys like us who were not, you know, we weren't out there getting in fights, we weren't in the underground, you know, twelve year old fight clubs, right? Sure. We were uh, we were we were at home with our VHS watching, you know, scary fucking movies, yeah. And that was our street cred. So now. You know, there's this side of me, which is a normal kid with hat, which has other other friends who, well, not normal, but, you know, who had other friends who were into the same thing, the horror stuff. And um, but there I had a little different perspective and they had a little bit of a different perspective on me as well, just because of who my father was. And so I kind of was finding myself I had to push further, like I couldn't just say, hey, I got my mom to go pick me up, you know, a copy of Heavy Metal magazine. Like, I had to be more extreme as a kid. So, you know, I'm sure. 12 and I'm like, hey, bye, mom. I'm going to school and I'm hopping on the city bus and going downtown to go to Ides Comics in Pittsburgh and come back with, like, you know, Cannibal Holocaust. And Sure. So, <laughs> so, so you're like, my dad did this thing that pushed the boundaries. And now, like, I got to push the boundaries further, kind mm-hmm. of. That was kind yeah, of it. But, it, it. There was, like, a reactionary element to it. But all the while trying to find my own identity as well and trying mm-hmm. to not just be known for being his kid, right? And right. then, um, you know, my mom was in advertising um, most of her life, and um, that's how they met. She actually hired him. And uh, so she was sort of a 
she was like a like an ad man in the fifties, like Mad Men days. And then there's um and then there's my dad who's my dad. So I was like fucked, right? Like my mom wanted me to be an accountant and that uh, wasn't gonna work out for you me. You have an accountant look to you. You seem like yeah, an accountant that's what, kind yeah. of guy. You got you got tattoos, lots of cool horror stuff in the background. That to me says Handle my finances, sir. You know, send me your taxes this year. I'll take care of it. <laughs> you are happy. Yeah, please. Please. Some, yeah, please. That's fine. Anyone. Anyone listening to? That's basically what I'll do. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I got a jury summons I need you to handle for me. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Um, but, you know, and again, look, now you're getting into a whole nother side of things, right? Because... Now here I am, like, I, there, was no, there was no going to business school. There was no becoming an accountant. There was none of that stuff for me. Of course it not. It was, I am George's kid. And uh, so there were these expectations, um, which then, you know, as you're growing and developing, your perception of those expectations gets a little fucked up. And you start thinking down, you know, these kind of dark roads. Well, how the fuck am I ever going to do anything creative uh, without trying to, you know, top him or beat him. And then you realize, well, you know, fuck, he's, he's like this icon. He's beyond famous. He's literally an icon, which after his passing became, you know, people got tattoos of his glasses. Like the man course, is yeah. like a, he's a, he's a symbol, right? He became a symbol. Yeah. And, um, you know, so there's that so, sort of side of things. And then there's you trying to figure it out. And then there's everybody assuming that you're just going to make zombie movies. And then there's everybody else that's assuming because you're George's kid, you're just going to make movies. Um, and then you fight against that. And that's heavy, you know, man. That's a that's a lot of that's a lot of kind of um, book uh, book cover judging, preconceived notions. I mean, you, you have a whole lot working against you, and that's got to be tough for like a, a young guy who's trying to figure himself out while you're like living in the shadow of your father. Well, yeah, but see, you just you just keyed on it right there, and I didn't figure out the difference until a few m much later. But it wasn't a shadow, right? It was a badge. Yeah. It's a badge, yeah, exactly. It's like if you can't beat them, join them, right? I suppose in a in a way, in a way. But all the time growing up, I thought it was the shadow, right? So right. what do I do now? I told you I'm 12 and I'm hopping city buses when I'm not supposed to. I'm going down and I'm hanging out with, you know, the fucking bikers at the at the comic shop and all the shit down there. Um, you know, by the time I'm 14, I'm going down to the strip district and, 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 and helping, trying to help load trucks at four in the morning for some cash so I could go to the comic shop and stuff like that. And I was like, I was, I was, you know, I was hard like that. Yeah. And then I'm going back to my house where my mom is raising me in sort of the suburbs of Pittsburgh and going to this public school where everybody doesn't realize that I'm living this kind of life. And so I'm just kind of like this other dude there and but I'm yeah. I'm already knowing that I don't fit in and that I'm okay with it. So, you know, as soon as I hurried up and got through high school, that's when I hopped on the freight train. And, oh wow. Uh, you literally hopped on a freight train. Yeah, and I found I found a whole new thing there. So I wanna get into that, but I just want to tell you, I can relate to all this because, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Nice, wealthy area. And I would hop on the train, go into the city, go to punk rock shows. I was 15, hanging out with people in their 20s. First tour I ever went on in a you know cargo van with a bunch of guys in their early 20s playing CBGBs and all sorts of 
Well, I, yeah, by the time we got to CBGB's, the old bass player found out that CBGB's was happening and he flew out, and that's the only show I didn't get to play. <laughs> but I got to play the rest. Uh, but um, I remember coming back to school and being like, hey, guys, I went on tour. I went to New York City. It's like the late 90s, so New York was still kind of like like Times Square. You could still like go into a store and be like, I'd like to jack off in the back to porno. And they're like, yes, sir, of course. <laughs> and um, so, you know, uh, no one cared that I did that at all. And, you know, at that point, I resigned to the fact that, like, that is not where my, my tribe was. It was not in the kind of, like, uh, patriarchal, uh, socially acceptable society that, you know. Exactly. I, I always kind of naturally want to run from that anyway. I mean, I didn't have to, you know, I wasn't – I never felt that I was necessarily living – I mean, my dad's a cardiologist. So I did feel like I had to live up to, like, a standard of, like, well, my dad is – he runs cardiology at this hospital, so I got to do something big one day. I just don't know what it's going to be because I'm, I can't read or whatever. I wasn't very good at school, so um, and then I, you know, then right after high school, I, I went on tour. I went on tour yeah. and started touring, and then eventually it worked out. So I, I understand that um, that thing. How long did it take you? So you hop on a freight train. <laughs> what happened after that? <laughs> Um, Anything good? Well, no. Well, yes, but but no. Um, yeah. You know, my first time out on a freight train, like, you know what you don't realize the first time you hop a freight train is that the other people who hop freight trains are there to exist in a fringe of society for a reason. I would assume <laughs> as much. It's not just like fun. It's not fun uh, hobos with like top hats where the tops popped off and they got like can of beans and a and a you know stick with a sack over their back and they're like there's whistle, there's whistle actually the some of that if you yeah. well there used to be it's all different these days but yeah. like when i was doing it it was dangerous for different reasons and you know you knew what how year to, was it what 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 decade was this that would have been the early 90s so i would early have been 90s 17, okay so yeah so 90 i think I oh, nice and yeah, still time. super yeah nice and dangerous yeah and I was I was registered off at school off at college, and I was fresh out of high school. And uh, I would I would um, I would steal this guy's car every weekend and disappear. And people would be like, "Where the fuck did you go? And why would you take my car?" But you know, but I always brought it back with a full tank of gas, so he was never really mad. And um, <laughs> you know, so that would happen, and I would go, and but nobody knew, and I was living this kind of life. And what I had kind of figured out was that I already had a much more grown up perspective on life than um, a lot of other kids my age, but here's the kicker. Um, I didn't know shit about shit because all the while here I am thinking that I'm, I'm like this fucking depressed, you know, I'm still stuck in this hole, you know, what am I gonna do? Like, I, I don't know how I'm gonna do, how, how can I ever top anything my dad has ever done? And, and, and it wasn't until later that I realized that I, a nobody on earth will ever top what he did. It's, it's no. physically impossible, right? No. Um, the man was not only he was not only an icon. I mean, what he did for independent film, what he did for horror, what he did for civil rights in film, what yes. he did for all of those things, right? Like, you, you you can't beat that in 2021. You can't beat that in 2010 or 2000. It's very you can't hard. Even beat that in the fucking 90s, right? But all you can do is be constantly reminded of it. That's so, the thing. When did when did that become? So you're like, you're out of high school, hopping freight trains in the 90s. Feeling like you're living in your dad's shadow. You haven't come to the realization that, like, it's not a bad thing and that, like, he was the first to do it. No one else can be the first again. It was a big first. 
when did you come around and go, this is a badge? I don't have to be like, I, this doesn't have to ruin my um, life. That was, that was a little later on. So, so what had happened was I had spent a lot of years. I decided um, out on the trains, and I won't get into some of the, the bad experiences I had that kind of shaped a lot of who I became. Um, but mm -hmm. there was a lot of violence out there. There was a lot of stuff like that. And, yeah, uh, I can imagine. I'm, I'm lucky to like I shouldn't be here, right? So I'm lucky. For well, that. you're well, you're meant to be, I guess. You didn't, you didn't, you know, you and, didn't become uh, some other hobo's can of beans. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, and uh, I think what I did was I decided I was going to, um, I was going to be inspired by every creative I had ever been inspired by, and I was going to be inspired by lifestyle choices, and I was going to be inspired by the ultimate pursuit of reaching like creative enlightenment, right? You know, I was gonna take cues from everybody from um, the old painters, right? Um, to uh, writers from, from Hemingway, to, you know, Castaneda, to uh, Marie Cassette, to, you know, like literally anybody who ever inspired me, I was gonna look at how they lived their life and I was gonna push for it. That's cool. Um, you know, and uh, and I did for a long time. And, and it made me absolutely go off the rails. And um, But it was also great because I think what I did was I developed a way to speak to my own inner creative. And I learned to trust it. And I developed instincts. And those instincts are what truly kept me alive. And I think that I owe that to my inner creative for nurturing it and learning how to learn, right? Learning how to look at the world, learning how to learn about myself, learning how to learn about my own process, right? And I think that all the while um, I was down this sort of, it was a very depressive journey for me. Um, and I spent a long time learning what a process meant and then once I learned the process, then I learned how to trust it. And when I learned how to trust my process, I think, is when I started, when I stopped saying I'm George's kid and started saying I'm my own creative spirit, right? I'm yeah. my own, I now trust my own creative. I trust my- That's a hard thing to do. Huh? That's a hard thing to do for someone that doesn't grow up with an incredibly famous, influential parent, right. mean, it's hard for it's hard for anyone to go. Is this the right way to make stuff? I think like you talked about. Okay, well, here I am. I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to get out of like again. I'm just using this term because it's how it was to you at the time. I'm trying to get out of my dad's shadow, and I'm going to take in every single influence, everything I love, and try to use that as a way to like find myself to find my creative voice and i think along that way especially because you're do you were doing it by yourself i love yeah. you know I'm, I'm in a band when i'm writing tv stuff i'm doing it with with wade here i'm doing it with other i'm doing it with other writing partners i always have a partner because i always like to bounce ideas off i don't love to be alone i never trust i never even though i still made things and put them out in the world i never trust myself enough though i know my process I'm okay with it. I'm kind of okay living on that edge, but getting there like by yourself must be like, it must've been like excruciating. So, I mean, like you seem like you're naturally like, were you always naturally like a very independent person? Yeah. You just like to do everything on, on your own. It seems yeah. that way. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, my granddad, he started teaching me how to build things when I was like seven. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom, you know, she decided since my parents were divorced when I was young, Mm -hmm. my mom decided that it was probably a good idea for me to learn how to survive and, and grow up tough. Um, it's, uh, it, this is actually very strange for me. Like there's a lot of stuff I've never talked about publicly. So if you're uh, okay talking about it, there's no, no, no one's forcing your hand here. Yeah, no, you're, I know that. I yeah. Know that. Like, like my mom one, I'll never forget, you know, and she's been dead since 2008 and mm-hmm. you know, my father's gone and everything. So, mm-hmm. um, but like, uh, yeah, there was, I'll never forget one year. She said, Oh, you're going to go to camp this year. I said, okay. And she had somebody come and pick me up and. Uh, and they dropped me off with like this this backpack, and it had like a can of beans and a compass and a knife, and uh, and they said, "See you at home if you make it." And yeah. They left me in the middle of nowhere. It took me three days to get home. Right, like that was my mom. Wow. She was like, "You're not gonna, you know, I'm raising you kind of as a single mother, and I don't really have somebody to be a father figure to you other than your own father, who was like this creative kind of icon." you know, out there for me. And so she wanted me to raise up tough. So she did like that kind of shit. Right. That's interesting. So, 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 so do you think, do you feel that was out of love? I mean, it's, yeah, I feel to me like, it feels to me from like a parent, I, I get where she's coming from there, but I could also see yeah. that being traumatic. How old were you? What did you, you know, what did you say to her when you walked in the door after that? I said, well, I made it. And she said, I knew you would. <laughs> would she like, do you, would she like, Oh, that's great. I made more beans. <laughs> like my mom, just in a nutshell, right? Like years later, I ended up um, opening up a, a studio in Western Pennsylvania, and it was a big deal in it. And nobody had ever done anything like this before, and there was a group of us that did it. But I was kind of leading the charge, and I, I was in charge of this thing, and I built the whole thing and with the investors and my partners and everything. And I'll never forget, like my mom, she, she came to see it finally, and by this time she was all hunched over on a walker and, and uh, I said, hey, I want to show this to you. Look, here's my soundstage, and here's all the, all the cameras and the lights, and here's the, the editing area, and here's our sound design, and there's all the offices and all our workstations, and this is our theater, and this is my office. And she doesn't say a word, and she kind of like wheels her walker behind my desk and looks around and kind of kicks it out of the way and sits down and looks around. And I said, well, you're fucking killing me. What do you think? And she said, I thought it'd be bigger. <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> I think you and I might have had the same mother. <laughs> I feel My like mother. that's everybody's mother, right? Like, I, I, I guess I don't know. Is is that everybody's mother? It was like <laughs> I, I, I was, and she knew it too. And this was what fucking pissed me off. She knew it that like me walking her through that place and taking her there was me basically in my mind at the time in my young mind it was the biggest like I fucking told you, mom. Like you know what I mean? Like. Fuck being an accountant. But she couldn't just give. But she couldn't. She, ju- she couldn't just give it to you. She couldn't just like, give it to you and go. Right, you did like, a good job, I, son. I'm proud of you. Right. You know, I was like, I told you I'm going to do all this shit. I did all this shit, and now I'm here to show it to you and kind of rub it in your face a little bit. But I really want you to be proud of me. And she's like, she just goes, I thought it'd be bigger. And you know it was like that's like, incredible. I've got a base s- drop. Oh my god. You know, like my my <laughs> world just crumbled. I was like, fuck. I um, remember. You know, you know, I do this other band outside of uh, outside of Fall Out Boy called The Damned Things, and it's Scotty in from Anthrax. You know, it's 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 a cool, it's you know, it's a fun heavy band that rock band that we do, and and uh, we made this record after Fall Out Boy went on this. Fall Out Boy got 
to our peak kind of point in 2009 before we went on this four-year break. We were just kind of over it. We needed a break. I want to do this band. I did this band. It's a huge labor to make this album. We make the album. It turned out great. Around New Year's, I was in L.A. I didn't live in L.A. at that point in time, but I was in L.A. at a party. I had maybe just smelled a lot of cocaine. I was like, this smells good, this cocaine. And then I call my parents after the, yeah, I'm realizing, oh, people are counting down. Why are the people counting down? Oh, it's New Year. So they get to one. I call my parents. My mom gets on the phone. She goes, I go, Happy New Year, Mom. She goes, she doesn't even say Happy New Year. She goes, hey, I heard that record you made. I go, oh, yeah, what do you think? She's like, I like everything on it except what you did. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> My mom's yeah, also. I'm pretty dead. sure. I'm pretty sure my parents have never watched anything that I've ever done. Yeah. No. Nope. Nope. I gave my mom a copy of a movie I did called Staunton Hill, and uh, like two weeks later, we, it hadn't even moved like on the table. And uh, <laughs> there's the, just a, a dust a dust so, ring forming around it. But you know what? Is I she, should have done to get a, get her at her own game was just not said anything, and not let yeah. it bother me. But I'm like, oh, I guess yeah. you haven't watched that yet. She said, No, I can't believe you would make horror movies. Oh wow! You know? Interesting. And then it was, and then came the stuff like you know you're never gonna be like as good as your father at that, so why would you even try? Type shit. Goodness gracious! And, you know, so you know, Ugh. yeah, moms, right? But this goes back to what I was saying <laughs> earlier, right? Loving, nur loving, like, nurturing mothers. <laughs> it's it's our parents and our friends and the people who are closest to us who are our haters, right? Often, and yeah. The people, and you know why they can push our buttons? Because they fucking installed them, and because it's fun yeah. to do. Everyone likes pushing buttons. I have a t I have two young kids. The toddler. Oh my god! Everything right. is called a everything. The keyboard's a beep bop boop. Everything's a beep. She loves beep bop booping and everything. <laughs> buttons are fun, man. Especially when they ignite a person's emotions. But like that stuff, like man. I mean, I got mommy issues like no one's business. Everything is driven by like all of my self hatred, my negativity, my body dysmorphia. So much of it is driven by my mother. I'm like a fucking, you know, it's 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 like psycho over here. I'm surprised I don't have her body in a rocking chair over in the corner. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that being said, so I don't want to dive too much into like stuff with your dad because you've had to do that a million times. But I, I do want to ask, like, what was your relationship like with him at this point? Like, at, you know, around, you know, around the time, let's just say, when you realized, oh, my God, my dad is this really big deal to to now like well, i mean i know he's passed away but like um i think it was, how, it was, was volatile it? over the yeah. years right like um you know I, I look i spent most of my life chasing that um what do you call it chasing that uh validation right chasing mm -hmm. chasing those things i always wanted to hear him say right but the reality is my parents divorced when i was young they split when I was very young. The divorce mm -hmm. took a while. It was apparently not pretty. And, uh, you know, I didn't see him for a few years. And then he came back around. And when we spent time together, it was amazing. And then um, it took me a long time to understand that his life and career meant that he wasn't always really around or accessible. And it took me an even longer time to understand uh, why there was an emotional absence. And then my counter to that was my own emotional absence 
And then sure. there was the arguments and then there was the, the getting along and the whole thing. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of ups and downs and, you know, and then there was like a lot of rumors and stuff. And there was, there was all kinds of shit getting put in his ear by God knows who that, you know, there was a long period of time there where most of the time I would see him and he'd be like, well, I heard this. And I'd be like, well, that's a lie and I can prove it. And, you know, and, and then it became the whole thing with, I think, you know, somebody got in his ear and told him I was trying to like steal his coattails or something which i've literally you can read any interview i've ever done in my entire life i've done i've tried to do the exact opposite of that right i was never yeah that's not the impression i would get i right and so then one day i realized that it was more of a badge and i realized that you know what and and then look at the end of the day as of a few years ago i'm the only george romero left who picks up a camera right like there's yeah you know there was him and me and i share his name and that's something that is is probably the biggest honor um, I could I could possibly ask to carry for the rest of my life and and you know but there's a responsibility that comes with that too. I was gonna I say, think, do you, you must feel a lot of responsibility? But yeah, then I see and, you also. And, I see I see in the back you have a picture of your. There's a picture of your dad. You know. Yeah. Hanging up yeah, right back he's there. Always yeah. there. Yeah. There's yeah. actually a few of them. There's. He's always there, right? He's always with me. He's always with everybody in this industry. He's always with everybody who's a fan. He's always with. I mean, how many, how many, and I say this all the time, how many musicians, poets, artists, dancers, effects artists, um, writers, directors, uh, you know, how many, how many across the board has he influenced? You know, I mean, you literally can't count millions of people. I mean, there's people that are influenced by him that don't realize they're influenced by him. Right. Which is, it's, it's a huge weight for you. But I think the difference between the way we all carry him and how you carry him is you carry his his dna you're his you're his offspring you really carry him it's really i think i'm still working and i don't know if i'll ever come around to really fully understanding my relationship more with my mother than than anyone my dad's still alive uh he's a good man uh i mean of course we fight as we <laughs> As we do sometimes, but like we get we get on real well and we're close. Um, we've, we we had our ups and downs too, but with my mom, it was always so complicated. And I I don't know when I'm ever gonna. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll have to wait till I'm till I've, till I've hit your age where I've kind of figured out what my relationship is with her. Um, but I think it's a. You know, you can be envious of somebody without any sort of ill will, and I'm I'm envious. I think it's really wonderful that you found that, man. I think it is. It's got to be Thanks, like get, bring bring you a lot of peace. Well, I'll tell you, I, I'll I'll give you the the secret ingredient, right? Okay. Uh, and I I didn't realize this till I was older, um, but the key is exactly what you just said in the words you said. You said you're trying to figure out your relationship, right? Your relationship isn't with your mother. Mine wasn't. My relationship wasn't with my father. My relationship is with myself. Yeah. And then the rest of the relationships in your life um, have to vibe with your own version of your relationship with yourself. Because quite frankly, if you don't have a good relationship with yourself, how can anybody else? No, it makes so much sense. I mean, like we t I talk about it with my therapist a lot about needing to let myself off the hook about the things I feel because I should just be allowed to feel them. And if I feel them, then that is my relationship with them and my relationship with myself, and I should be comfortable with that. But, you know, it's the struggle. It's also partially part of being a 
worried, neurotic, anxious Jewish guy is, you know, always a fidgeting. That's, the, that's, <laughs> that's where the creativity comes in. That's where your inner totally. creative comes in, right? Like, I don't care if it's cooking, if it's like for me, when I'm not when I'm not writing, when I'm not directing, when I'm not doing something in the industry, uh, I'm a woodworker. Um, I, I I'm just recently a few years ago taught our son um, leather craft uh, when he was 12. Oh, wow. And now he makes some of the most insane leather like things you've ever seen from cuffs to holsters to name it. Um, you know, I'm building a forge and I'm going to teach him how to, how to, you know, bang some steel and That's make cool. knives and anything out of metal. Um, and then I cook and all of these things are, they're creative outlets, right? They're things that nurture, you know, it's like Robert Rodriguez said, I think on an episode of the chef show, actually Favreau's show, he said that you, you know, you, you, there comes a time when you learn how to learn. And I yeah. remember hearing him say that. And I remember thinking to myself, that's one of the most genius things I've ever heard anybody say, because that's exactly what we do. We have to learn how to learn and we have to learn. I said this earlier, we have to learn to trust our own creative and our own process. And, you know, for, for a guy like me, um, you know, I went after, I had goals. I had, they were fucked up goals, but they were goals. And they were goals having to do with my own personal growth, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, my father was always accused of not being commercially minded. So I went out and I got into the world of advertising and marketing. Um, you know, I wanted to be tougher than the next guy. So I went out and rode freight trains and got into every scrap I could find. And um, I wanted to be uh, more in tune with my own creative spirit than anybody else I ever met. So I went out and I pursued that and I did things to pursue that. And they were experiences. Um, and I traveled this entire country on, on, on the back of a freight train, you know, and I met some of the most amazing people and I, I learned a different perspective on things. Um, I wanted, it was all about extremes, right? If I loved, I wanted to love to extremes. If I, laughed or found something funny i wanted to find it funnier than anybody else could mm -hmm. um if it, you know whatever it was it had to be at the at the fringes it had to be at the ends of the spectrum because i fucking hate the status quo and i always have right it makes sense so, do you think do, do, do you think any of that sorry to interrupt you not that at all. The, the, the the way that you would dive in so fully and lose yourself in those ways do you think that was ever a coping mechanism or a, 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 Most a crutch? Um, or, or, yeah, it's like a crutch, right? So you don't have to confront any of your mental health. Right. Issues, but then you know right? what it does? It forces eventually, you to. Well, eventually it forces you over time because yeah. it, it becomes, it gets crit to critical mass, right? Where you can't yeah, ignore it. Exactly. Eventually it's like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm mm -hmm. in your face now. I'm in your fucking face and things are falling apart and you got to do something now. But yeah. I know that you know, I understand you know what I equated yeah, to. I, 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 yeah, I've equated it to this in the past is like, you know, in movies when there's like a portal that opens up and somebody's like, where's this portal go? I don't know. I'm going to go in, though. Here, hold this rope. And if I get in trouble, pull me out. Right. Like, yeah, you start like that metaphorically and then the portals get weirder and the worlds get stranger and the rope that you give to the next person gets thinner and then there's less people to hand the rope to and then you're looking for like a chair to tie a piece of dental floss to and you're like where's this portal go i don't know but fuck it 
you know? And I've already gone go. through like 10 portals. I don't even remember where the first, I don't know where the first timeline is. It <laughs> and doesn't matter. Like, Fuck it. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to face whatever's there. And if it kills me, it kills me. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And when it doesn't, you're lucky. And that's how I faced my shit. And that's how I realized that my depression was not a crippling thing. It was a superpower. Well, sure. Was, I mean, like you, you, your, your depression led you through a bunch of crazy situations, clearly, that got you to where you are today, and you're better for it. But like, do you think you, you like you, you were uh, you had a death wish at one point? Yeah, I mean, probably. like, yeah, I mean, not like, getting like out an of, active one. But no, like but a, like, you know, fuck it. Well, subconscious one, maybe. Maybe in your deep subconscious, you're like, I don't give a fuck if I get in this freight train and get stabbed to death. I don't give a fuck, dude. I'm, right, I'm which actually get... happened, but um, not to death. But, yeah. But, but you know, like, well, I it mean, that's like, it's terrifying, you know? It was that with whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Sure. And, it, and the more times you end up not getting killed, the stronger you realize you're getting. And then, but then comes about having to harness the strength that you're developing because then when you're young and you're developing this kind of strength, it turns into arrogance and cockiness and all that other stuff. And then that's, that's fucking dangerous. It's very dangerous. The thing you, you either grow out of with age when someone smacks you down that you respect or you succumb to it and uh, it goes, you know, then you end up, you know, break, you know, breaking into the Capitol building or something like that and getting arrested <laughs> by the FBI or who knows, you know, something like that. But um, it's really interesting the amount of, you know, I think like, especially when you're dealing with like something that can be like pretty crippling, like depression and, you know, every new problem is a, is a new kind of like taller, steeper hill to climb. And you don't even, it's hard to even think about that. Eventually you get to the top and you'll get over it and things will be better and there will be a downhill and you've done it like a lot of times <laughs> you've done a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, it takes years to get to the top of a mountain, right? It takes seconds yeah. to get back down. Yep, yep. And then there's another bigger mountain after that. But eventually you learn that as you get m more experienced, you learned those mountains, they're not problems necessarily. It's just a new challenge that you can learn from and get stronger from and better from. But it's, yeah, tough, when you're young. it's, it's, it's tough when you're young, though. When you're young, yeah. it seems like yeah. that, that when seems you're young, like the it, end it of the really world. It really does turn, in, turns into a depression, and that's when your baseline starts to shift. And then you start realizing that like other people have this kind of like all this, 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 th there's not that much room between happy and sad for them. And then you realize you're shifting and your baseline is shifting. And then you're, when you're low, you're lower than anybody you've ever met. And when you're up there, it's, it's truly almost manic, but yeah. the, manic level, the manic line gets so high, you can almost never achieve it again. Well, it doesn't right. last long enough, too, because once you're at the top, there's only, like, the peak is only, you know, so far, and then eventually you're back downhill again. That's right. That's yeah. right. And so... You have to get used to so that. You, you, have to up, under, you, you, have to, you have to be a realist about that stuff, which takes a long time to get there, I think. Yeah, well, for me, I just stopped trying to reach that, and I just realized it was kind of like existing in a wasteland, right? It was like, well, at least at this baseline, like, I'm, I'm you know... I'm Mad Max, the Terminator, John McClane. <laughs> you know, I'm all of them, and there's nobody else in my fucking wasteland, right? Right. And, um, and, Trick, and I'm just gonna conquer. I'm, I'm just gonna conquer down here where no one else wants exactly. to visit. 
and find and my then you start, there. That's when you start getting comfortable with your work and with yourself. And then you realize that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty good. You're going to go, you're going to try to go back up here for a while. And then, um, you know, for me, I think what it was, was I, I kind of just came to understand my, my own, like I've said it a few times, but man, I'm telling you, it was all about identifying and coming to terms with my own process. Once I understood my process, I knew that my inner creative would guide me and always protect me. Um, and not let me make the bad decisions, you know, and that's in bit that that's in business too. And you learn those by, by getting in all the wrong business deals. Hey, we sure. love you and we love what you're doing. And you know, we're not interested in anything having to do with your dad. Okay, great. Let's do some business. Hey, awesome. Listen, uh, can you call your dad? Cause, uh, we really would rather have his phone number. Well, yeah, the you know bait, I mean? yeah, the, the bait and, and switch uh, is the bait and switch is alive and well. Oh to, Yeah today and then that that's a whole nother thing that derails you for a while and then you start thinking well how the fuck am i ever gonna well, am i worth anything because all they want is my fucking dad yeah right and Which so then hard. you yeah. just you just go back to your wasteland and you're like here i'm a god you know sure. like and uh and then you're okay with that and then what happens and then with the internet and all that other stuff um you know uh people start finding you in your work and uh and in, and and you no longer have to feel like you have to go force it into the world um, you have your own identity your own audience all that stuff and you just so like your own thing. yeah so okay so you talk about like you know like how important it is like to know your process and understand it and trust yourself and before that you know we talked about which is which, which is really interesting like the fear of showing your things your art uh not your thing not your penis your art to um to people and getting rejected, you know, in a way it is like, I've said this before. It's like showing your, your dick and being like, is this thing good? And they're like, no. And you're like, ah, God damn it. I, I fucking suck. Um, so, you know, like, but then bringing that around to now, you have this, you have this project like that helps and champions like independent creators. So like, talk about that a little bit if you don't mind. And then also, how that um how you're able to like take what you've learned from those experiences and, and and use that towards helping others who maybe are more are, are unsure of where they're at in their creative process well you're talking about the indie brigade yeah the indie brigade so the indie brigade is a small podcast that um i uh, a buddy of mine uh named joe ridgely called me up once and said hey would you be interested in doing a podcast and i said nah um <laughs> And that's what I said. To, that's everybody's I, relationship with podcasts. Yeah, that's what I said too. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like yeah. podcast is like okay, got it. I can't wait to be the umpteenth, umpteenth millionth person to have done this. Here we go. Right, and that's what I said. I said I don't want to do a regular thing, and I don't want to do like a fan show, and I don't want to do any of that stuff. And he said, okay, well, think about it. And he called me again, and he said, hey, did you think about it? And I said, yeah, I thought about it, and you know, and uh, he said, so what do you think? And I said, meh. And, uh, <laughs> so a little bit of time went by and, and I, and, and I talked to my wife and I talked to my buddy, uh, Greco and, and they both said to me, you know, you should do it, but you know, don't just, just be honest with the guy, you know, if he wants to produce the show, like just tell him what you would want to do. And I said, okay. So I called up Joe and I said, look, I'm, I'm not interested in, in doing like a, a typical podcast. If I do something, I want it to be something where. Uh, it can be a place for indie creators to come and not only learn but feel accepted um, and and feel like a community. When I was growing up, 
you know, um, and when I would be in LA, we would all hang out and we'd throw ideas around and there was a community and, you know, Hey, I'm writing this thing. And what do you think about this? And, Oh, I think that's great. But what have you said that? And nobody got mad. Nobody thought anybody was stealing your shit. Nobody stole anybody's shit. And it was a collaborative community. Right. And then there mm-hmm. was the horror community and it was collaborative and supportive and uplifting. And, and that kind of has gone away largely. And I said, oh, so yeah, I the want- internet, the, the, the internet and the way people, things are, things are algorithmed have, has made it so that there is no face-to-face community, especially COVID now making it worse. But then right. yeah, there's no way to get together with people and have that kind of creative, collaborative, open uh, community anymore. And you know, yeah. I think the, the, the internet has nurtured uh, the, 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 the antithesis to that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I realized what was happening was the, the more connected people were getting, the more isolated they felt. And I, and I remembered, you know, obviously my, my, I remembered my life, right? Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, you know, I bet you that I'm not the only one out there who, who deals with a lot of this shit that I dealt with, um, in their own way. And I would like to do something where, you know, those people can come together and feel like they've got a community. And so we started up the Indie Brigade and it's Friday nights at nine o'clock on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and, uh. You know, man, in like less than six months, we went gangbusters. We we actually put on the first uh, the first online only fan convention out there, um, which was a lot of fun. And um, we've done all kinds of other shit, and we've had amazing guests on. And what I think guests enjoy about coming on my show is that it's it's not just a hey, what was you know what was, how did you take your coffee when you were on the set of this movie. Right. You know, it's it's not the same shit that people are used to talking about when they do shows. It's I I really like this show. I really try to dive deep and talk to talk to my guests about their process, what's important to them, how to stay creative, things like that. And it kind of took off really fast. And lately with, you know, last year's craziness and COVID and uh, it was awesome. COVID is not awesome, but it was awesome for us because everybody was home and they so they stayed watched. But then with all the election craziness, like our numbers started going down because we're apolitical, right? We're we're not political. We're not religious. We're not anything. You're not. You're not. You're not. You're you're not running a a QAnon. Right. We're we're creative, and we don't care what your views are about anything, other than your own creativity. And, and what that means, whether that's filmmaking or writing or photography or whatever it is, we've got a way for you to feel a part of a community and feel um, accepted and welcome, uh, which when I was growing up was not something that we were made to feel much. So right. I um, that. we developed this community. And man, I'm telling you, these, these, these people, the members of the brigade, right? Like our audience members. Um, they don't call themselves fans or even an audience. They refer to themselves as members of the Indie Brigade, right? Like, and they That's call cool. each other offline and they say, somebody on Facebook can say, I'm having a bad day. Five people will reach out and be like, listen, what are you doing? Can we help you? Do you want to write? Do you need to bounce ideas off of us? It's not that bad. Just hang in there. And when I saw that stuff was happening just organically, man, this became like um, one, of the, one of the most amazing things I've ever done. And it kind of gave me the strength to then go out and actually finish the formation of, of the Veterans Compound, which is a 501c3 that I finally got certified this year, well, last year, um, to help veterans process their experiences through filmmaking as an art. So I'm working on getting that launched on a larger scale. But it all wow, came out of the Indie amazing. Brigade. And, um, 
you know, and, and uh, honestly, I'm hoping you'll come on the show and, and, and talk I about some to. of this stuff with our, with our it's folks. Isn't, too, getting, right? It's an official invite on, it's my, an official invite. on yeah. my show to your show? Yes. Oh, that's great. I love it. it. I think it's awesome how you've taken, you have like the, the insight and the awareness to take all of your trauma and go, I don't want other people to have that trauma. I want to make it better for them. And I think like it's what we try to do as, as, as parents or those of us with awareness and emotional awareness and empathy. Um, but it's it's even better when you can do that for strangers. You know, you can do that for other creators, for other artists, and take what you've learned and your wisdom and your pain and show people that they're not alone. I think that's kind of, um, to a degree, the, the ethos of this show as well. So I think uh, you're a wonderful man, George. Oh, thanks. You are too, man. Oh, thanks, and I actually dude. say that to people on the show all the time. I say, look, if you don't, even if you didn't learn anything on tonight's episode, just remember that you're not alone and we're all out here with you. you know? Yeah, we're I think it's the best. You've, as I said before, you might actually physically be alone in your room because I'm not there, but we are there. We are all here. To, we are all, all here in our loneliness together. That's right. And that is a shared loneliness that I think in some ways... I hope, you know, through your show, through this show, we can make people uh, feel a little better about, you know. That's the whole point, man. You know, it is just point. create no matter what, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're feeling or how bad it is, just create something. I don't care if it's a perfect mound of mashed potatoes, right? Like, yeah, making something, cooking, I think it dude. just, it, it takes you, out, it puts you, um, it takes you out of it, man. It takes you out of that pain to make stuff. Yeah. I think it's a yeah. great, I mean, I think that's, that's why we do what we do, man. That's right. <laughs> That's to right. stop feeling so bad and feel something else. And what comes out of that can be something wonderful. That's right. And eventually you stop feeling the bad. Yeah. And you start realizing that it's okay when you do feel the bad. It is and okay. And it's not something that needs to cripple you. You have to allow It's something yourself. that you feel, you absorb, you bring in, uh, you accept it, and you process it, and you move past it, and you do something better. And, you know, I mean, I met my wife five years ago on a whim. Like, I was pretty much, I was sure I was solo and like going down i was gonna you know it was like well do i self-destruct or do i kind of keep going tomorrow <laughs> and uh i passed through lexington and stopped at a bar and met this girl and and uh now i've been married to her for several years and um I, we've got a son and he's amazing and um, that's incredible yeah and, see and i mean like that's but but i mean right there for anyone who li who listens to this who feels like there's no hope for me i'm alone you just don't know when you're going to find somebody, where you're going to come across an incredible group of people that can help you, that can inspire you, whatever it is. You just don't know. And that's, that's, that's what can be scary about hitting that kind of, that giant mountain is you got to yeah. kind of like, you got to climb up it and see what's up on the other side, but it takes time to get there. That's it. I just have one question, George. Um, what uh what kind of coffee do you prefer when you're on set? <laughs> uh actually it's um if I have my choice it's usually uh Death Wish. Death Wish coffee? <laughs> okay. That's very on brand. We yeah, it's on brand. We send out Folgers instant coffee to all of our guests. You have for being on the show, you've won one half used pack of Folgers instant coffee. Thank you. For, but th thanks for being on the show, man. We appreciate it a lot. No, this has been great. Thank you for having me on. And I hope I didn't sound like too much of a rambling idiot. No, I'm glad you talked. I 
I'm the, usually know. one that rambles. So it's and your stories are phenomenal and super interesting. We really appreciate you, man. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. And now, uh, yeah, George Romero Jr. What a guy. I'm glad he was, uh, yeah, I'm glad uh, he was open about talking about stuff with his dad. I think that's that's some rare stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm really open about talking about stuff with my mom. But I think that, mom, but I think that's my, that's kind my of mom, that's kind my of, mom didn't start the zombie genre. She didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, sure, but if she had, I don't I don't I think that like um like working through something you have to you have to at some point be able to talk about it, right? That's what that's what makes it that's that's how you know you're healing. For sure, and I think it's clear he's done a lot of that. I think that's kind of the deal with traumatic events or traumatic childhood scenarios is to kind of get through it to a degree you have to talk about it a great deal until you become somewhat desensitized but you're still able to connect emotionally and i think hopefully it's helpful for other people that have uh are either in those scenarios or have gone through those scenarios and looking for a little comfort i think even beyond that it's it's about like uh there's a point where you stop living for your parents and and start living for yourself. Everybody is sort of under that blanket of like, what do my parents want me to do? And then at some point, you 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 have to just disregard that and live your own life. You know. I think that's that's exactly it. You look at George, who was really stuck under the guise of his father's shadow for so long, and he's worked his way far out of that and become his own person. And I think um, whether your parent or parents are incredibly famous and cast a huge shadow or not they're going to cast a big shadow in your life and i think uh kind of to a degree spend your whole life kind of trying to escape them to a degree and um it's cool to like talk to somebody who's older than us who's like yeah i'm like way past that now and i'm okay with it i'm okay with the shadow he's also is okay with it you know like he's okay with he's found himself but he's also found a way to live under that shadow um and still feel like an individual and also Really hoping he's going to come back on our next podcast. Train fights. Train fights? Are you talking yeah. about train fights? Talking about train fights, yeah. Yeah. He didn't, uh, he didn't, he I mean, didn't get listen, much. The, yeah. the press release isn't out. This is a little early to announce it. But we. I guess we can announce now that um, we're going to do a podcast called Train Fights. And it's all about people who fight on trains. Yeah. He didn't get too into his train fights. So we really want him to dive deep. And we're talking... We're not just going to let guys on that have been on, like, boxcars. We're talking about all sorts of trains. Wait, what kind of trains are we talking about here? Subway trains? Sure. Elevated trains? What about just, like, a regular Metro North train? There's that. Amtrak? Yeah. Uh, Trans-Siberian? What about if you're... what the guys in fu- Trans-Siberian yeah. Orchestra? Sure. Yeah, we're going to have those guys on. We're going to have... Um, we're gonna that have damn train? The Orient Express. We're going to have uh, people that fought with their trainers, people that work at Equinox, the training facility, people that wear training bras. Megan trainers, com- Megan trainers coming on. Boxers who, who are training for their next fight. Sure, boxers are training for their next fight. People training for hot dog eating competitions. People training to make the best hot dogs in the world. I think it's going to be a lot of hot dog stuff on this train fights thing because okay, again, we'll go, talk about it. I, yeah, we'll talk, I, about, we'll talk it. about it. Sorry, I don't mean to push the hot dog thing, but I think it's going to be it's going to be a spicy topic. Anyway, thanks for listening. I hate myself. Tune in next week to where we kind of give some more details about uh, train fights. Train fights, and also be well.
I Hate Myself is a heavy metal entertainment production produced by Matthew Medney, Tommy Coriel, and technical producer Mike Scalombro in association with Brendan Walter and John Lolo for Crush Pictures and Ari Lubet for Three Arts Entertainment. Original music by Patrick Stump. You guys know who he is. Uh, and if you like this podcast and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review. I know that's very desperate, but I'm a desperate man. These are desperate times. You're all desperate for validation. I'm desperate for validation. Let's validate each other by giving us a five-star review.